the guys are bridging experience with science and, and now able to, to make more tactical decisions. We're getting guys that are getting better at critical thinking, and I think they're going to start making decisions faster, more fluent, more efficient. I still think that we're going to start seeing more and more good quality interior firefighting again all over the United States, if not the world. Firehouse Vigilance presents the Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Corley Moore, Weekly Scrap number 113. It's lucky number 113. My very special guest tonight is Julio Ramos. He currently is a lieutenant on a heavy rescue slash squad company in Central Florida. He is the owner and the senior instructor of Fireground and Special Operations Concepts with the specific class that I was lucky enough to catch earlier this year called Everything Solves for the Fire Service. His mantra and training focuses on the saying, Destiny favors the prepared. I'm excited for this evening's conversation. So my brother Julio, welcome to Scrap Number 113. It's a complete honor, Chief. Thank you very much for having me here today, actually, tonight. <laughs> yeah, super excited, brother. Uh, anything I missed in the intro? Anything you want to add? No, that that's pretty much basic. Um, it, to be honest, I'm, I'm usually one of more bashful people when it comes to like these types of things. Uh, it's almost like I'm more of an informal person when we go out to the bar. I'll take my whole life story then. But this is one of those that you kind of have to pry it out of me. Right but on. I'm, what you got right there, what you said is pretty much pretty much what I live by right now. So, I love it. Um, audience, get your questions ready. Um, and if you find value in the scrap, I'm, at, I'm this is my new mantra. If you find value in the scrap, go to firehousevigilance.com, donate to keep the scrap going because I want to keep it going. And from there, we'll kick it off right into the questions as I as I close my notes and say, I want to talk about your saying: "Destiny favors the prepared." Cause that's pretty epic just right out the get go and hit me with what that means to you. So I appreciate that. So when I first started the, the, the program, the everything saws in the business FSOC, um, you know, at first I thought about it, Oh, you know, what would be something catchy? You know, every, every major trading company had some, something in Latin written down or anything like that. But I'm like, you know, that's, that's too much. And I said, like, I want a slogan. I wanted something that I feel from the heart and one of the things like I was, I don't, I don't remember if it was TV or something like that. Oh, and I guess as corny as it sounds, I'm a big Xbox player, so probably playing Call of Duty. Yes. And when you hear about the 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 SAS, how they say you know, uh, uh, who dares wins and destiny favors the bold. And I'm like, man, I like that. But he mentioned about the bold, but I'm more like, you know what? I think destiny favors more of the prepared, and I said the prepared mindset. And I started thinking more like in, in our fire service, how, especially in my my career, you know, my destiny or, or like my career path and everything has happened because I prepared for it as well. Like I envisioned it that not in a mythic, mystical way like some people think. I mean, like I envisioned it like as far as like my career path, I wrote it down, I wrote achievable goals and started going through that. And I realized that. Uh, as I wrote these goals, I started seeing like, you know, my ups and downs were my failures or my mistakes or lessons learned. And me being from the Xbox generation, and I know that now, and I'm still young by all means, and I'm very young in the first Right years, on. But uh, I realized like you know, if there's people like me in my generation that had all these failures in the fire service per se, because I didn't come in with life experience. I didn't come in knowing a trade or anything like that. So I had to build it upon myself. 
um, luckily I was very much of a self-initiator and, and I'm a big reader, especially reader on, on fire department operations and stuff like that. When I started seeing my shortcomings, I started preparing myself for them. So I started taking all the classes that I really, really liked, like that I was really good at so I can like make myself even better. And then I started taking classes on stuff that I really sucked on just so I can get my skills up to par. Right on. And then um, not all of them had to do with the fire service. In fact, one of them had to be with the chainsaws. Like had to be a small engine repair. And we'll talk about that when we start talking about the sauce class. Well, the whole destiny favors are prepared really came when I started looking back down. I'm like, this whole thing, even now, and with my cadre and the guys that and the women that are actually part of the team of FSOC that actually helped mold this program, Destiny brought us on because we've all prepared our career paths, our fire service paths, because of mentors before us and then, you know, seeing lessons learned from others and stuff like that. So that's where the whole Destiny Favors are prepared. And actually, the slogan really caught on, believe it or not, uh, there was a class in South Carolina. We were doing a ladder academy up there um with captain jason juanitas you probably know him from lexington county he's real good okay. uh the truck company misfits and all that okay and one of the guys that works for his department he also does a lot of embroidery on the side and he said that when we when i started teaching and we started talking i talked about how destiny favors are prepared through training and all that he's the one that actually made the slogan into what it is into like the watermark and since then it was because of him that this thing just flew Nice, nice. It's pretty cool. No, that is man, and and to hear the backstory and everything, I like it. So that's awesome, and I love the Call of Duty reference. So, so. <laughs> well, I got to break the best of both worlds, you know. <laughs> so I got hired into the fire department pretty much right after high school. I was turning nineteen in the field. Right on. Um, little short story. I, I tell people I was more pissed off in the fire department. I was nineteen, and I got to crack someone. wasn't old enough to drink, but yet he'll here am I old enough to open someone's throat and tube them so, nice nice 19 years old doing a crike yeah no that's a pretty good story right there in and of itself um now you sent me a picture i get a lot of pictures to use to hype things right but this yeah. is this is only the second picture out of 113 scraps where there was a goodie boy in the picture leaning into that it, leaning into you on that man so i want to hear the story behind it well you kind of did some editing, but did you see where he was standing? He was at in a fire truck, wasn't he? Yeah, he yeah. was. Yeah. So this is a German Shepherd. His name is Galen. Uh, for the longest time, I'm a dog lover. Ever since a little kid, I've always been a pet lover. Um, growing up, I've always wanted a dog that I can have, that you know, very good for the family for therapy, um, but at the same time has a purpose in life. You know, working dog. So for years, for years, I was looking, I was looking, I loved the German Shepherd. I was always big on German Shepherds, you know, the Dobermans, Rottweilers, those stuff. The people always thought they were aggressive. I always just loved them. Right, right. So there's a, a rescue group up in the Panhandle from the Alabama-Pensacola line that they rescue German Shepherds and other working dog breeds. And I fell in love with his picture. Mind you, I got him two years ago when he was two years old. He wasn't abandoned or anything like that. Is that the previous owners uh, – they end up getting – they were older, an older couple, couldn't take care of him, couldn't give him what he needs. So I'm like, all right. So I drove all the way to the panhandle, and it was funny. One of my best friends, he's actually a battalion chief up there. Um, back then he was a lieutenant on, on, on their heavy rescue and their squad. He's like, hey, man, um, when are you coming up here? Because we would like to – you give us like a class on saw maintenance. 
And I'm like, funny story. I'm actually going up there this week to right, go right. pick up the dog. And he says, you know, and I'm like, instead of me trying to get a hotel, I'm trying to see, you know, if I go there and then come back. He's like, well, does the, do- does the dog come with a crate? And I'm like, yeah. He said, well, spend the night, you know, because seven hours from my place to there. He says, you know, spend the night in the morning before you leave, give your class, and then head on out. And that's exactly what happened. Nice. So my very the fire first night, my very first night with my new dog was at a firehouse. So, and it was epic since then. Um, so he ha- he came with obedience, you know, basic obedience, uh, some good manners in the house. But I noticed that his prey drive was a lot. You know, he would chase squirrels. And it was because I wasn't giving him enough purpose. I wasn't working him. Right. Like, you know, I, even though I researched the breed, I wasn't doing my due diligence. Again, the whole destiny favors are prepared thing. I wasn't prepared enough for him. Like I wasn't. So I ended up taking him to this trainer uh, and shout out to her. It's called Marsau K9. Uh, her name is Catherine Schreiner. She's a really good dog trainer up down here in Florida. Okay. We pretty much trained all of our, my fire departments, everybody that has dogs that are either working dogs or pets. She's trained them pretty much at one point. She got him to be, you know, very food motivated, very ball motivated. Like my dog, um, he's off leash. Like I can recall him off leash and all that stuff. So then I started trying him out for the task force. Unfortunately, he doesn't have the drive for it, the hunt, what they call the hunt drive. Um, Cause there's a big difference between prey drive and hunt drive. Hunt drive is like, Hey, he's going to continue putting his nose in the air, putting his nose on the ground. So he finds what he needs to find. Um, however, uh, one of the things that they teach in the task force canine is like, you know, your dog first dog may be a washout, but you never stop. You, you don't stop bringing your dog because that dog is still teaching you how to be a better handler for the next dog that you get. Okay. So, and I, so that's two years right now that we've been doing this, you know, like Kim being home, we practice in searches and stuff like that. It, it's a good hobby and it's also good therapy because I noticed that the more I work them, the more my relationship would get stronger. Um, it is, it is very, uh, you know, like everybody in the fire service, I don't care who they are. They need some sort of outlet. My outlets with my dogs, like, you know, just being outside, working them, seeing them do agility, seeing him do stuff now because he trusts me on stuff that we were never able to do before. Right. You know, like I've had him uh, on an eight foot, uh, eight foot, 60 degree, a frame. He's climbing up, standing on top, barking on command, coming down, turning around, going through. 30, 40 foot tunnels. Right. No problem. Yes. Because of the trust uh, uh, through training, through consistency, uh, which kind of relates back to the fire service. Right training. back to it, man. <laughs> Dude, yeah. I, I, I was going to get into rookies and, 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 and uh, rescues, you know, but the, the comparisons. <laughs> no, I doubt about it. So it, it, it's awesome. Um, you know, sometimes you come to the fire station and visit and, you know, by all means, this is not a therapy dog, not an emotional support dog, whatever. But uh, the fellows love him when he comes, you know, it, it, when he comes visit dad uh, because he's so well behaved and he wants to socialize with everybody. So, you know, any chance I can make my 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 fireman happy, I'm always going to try to bring him over as well. And when he's when he's happy, when they're happy, I'm happy. So right now he's laying on his place mattress right next to me. So it's pretty good. That's awesome. Just, you it's, yeah. If you can get him on there. Yeah, just being a goodie boy, man. He's a tired boy right now. Yeah, he is. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome, man. Dude, I love dogs. If anybody knows me, knows how much I love dogs. So, 
All that be, before you go, I'm going to catch you up because there's a lot of people already making comments. Kevin okay. Lewis said, "My brother, let's go." Everett Mansfield said, "Good evening, gents." Guy Hall, evening brothers. Tony chimed in with, "What's up, brothers from the eight five zero? We got Florida guys in Oklahoma tonight chiming in. Robert Ramirez says, "What's up, Julio Ramos? Have yeah. a great podcast, brother." Yes. <laughs> Rob, my good friend. Rob, those eight fifty boys. Actually, uh, Galen comes from the eight five zero. There you so, go. So uh, that's my dog. He came from the eight five zero. So represent. Yes. Um, yeah. Shane uh, Bentley said, two of my favorite fire pimps. And Chief Andrew Starn said, humble, hardworking, and awesome guy. Uh, Chris Kessinger, crew, yeah, love talking to Julio, solid brother. And man, it just goes on. Robert Ortega said, yo. See you tomorrow. He's in town, so I'm going to see him tomorrow. So I'm very proud. Oh, All right. Um, okay, so I caught you up. I know I missed some people. Nick Papard, Julio Ramos, my dude. Kill it, broski. There we go. Pretty much caught up. All right. Moving on. Pulling up notes. So I just wanted to catch you up because I didn't want to leave him out. No, that's um, awesome. You talked to me about having a hobby. Obviously, dogs are a huge part of your hobby. But you said finding a purpose both on and off duty, finding that balance. Yeah, so it's – I had to learn that the hard way. Um, I knew since a little kid, like, you know, as tacky as it sounds, I knew since a little kid, I've always wanted to be a fireman, awesome. you know, through and through. I mean, I got pictures of two years old with a cracker in my hand and a fire truck in the other. Um, I grew up in New Jersey and where I grew up, if you ever heard of uh, Chief Anthony Avillo, that oh, yeah. in regional fire, um, that's where I grew up. I grew up in Union City. So I got to see a lot of action growing up, you know, like just, just all around me. Um, so it happens to be that one of my best friends and mentor, he's now a battalion chief there. But I remember when I was in grade school, like, you know, a, a third, fourth grader when he was just a probationary fireman on a tiller truck, you know, with, an, you know, open cab still uh, uh, back in the early 90s. I mean, they were still having Mac as fire trucks right. until like as of a couple of years ago. And, you know, Mac hasn't created like. <laughs> right. Yeah. You yeah. know, forever. Um, so it was great. Um, but. uh Growing up, my whole passion was a fire service, fire service, fire service. Then I became an explorer in, uh, when I went through high school, uh, which is a junior firefighter. So I got to go right, take ride-alongs and observe and do everything like that. And then, you know, fast-paced high school, fire school, EMT school, paramedic school, get hired. Um, but I would take everything I can, everything I can, everything I can. But then it started getting to the point where I was like, well, I didn't really have anything else to talk about but the fire service. And sometimes that also turned people away and whatnot. Um, so then I realized, man, I need a, I need some more hobbies and stuff like that. Then I also realized, like, started looking at a bunch of the old timers and the OGs in the fire service, especially in my fire department. They all had stuff that they were able to talk about. They were all, you know, tinkering with their cars or, or, or bringing projects from home. You know, obviously after everything else was done, all the sure. training stuff was done, they go do other stuff. Um, you know, talking about vacations and stuff like that. And I realized, like, man, you know. I'm right now very unbalanced in my life. Um, Cost me other, you know, previous relationships and stuff like that with, with, you know, uh, you know, other significant others. But I realized, man, I got to start picking up. Well, in that aspect, I was to realize back with the fire service, I'm still lacking skills, especially not just life skills, but like technical trade skills. And I was always interested in being the very best that I can in the fire service, especially in special operations. So some of my hobbies I started picking up was like, okay, well, let me pick up a hobby like small engine repair. 
So I started going through online classes, started taking some online classes on engine repairs and started buying saws and some stuff and started like uh, converting them to like fire department saws. And that's my little hobby now. So now I got, uh, as of like two years ago, I bought a house and it brought a, a massive heat shed in the back. <laughs> so that's where I started doing all my saws. Like every now and then, like even after tonight, when we get off here, I'm probably going to go back there and tinker um, with one of the saws. Right on. My last lieutenant, right before he retired, uh, actually, he just re- recently retired, but he came around not too long ago to see me. He brought a saw that he wanted me to work on. So I find that as a little hobby, very entertaining, you know. So And, and very, very in tune with your passion, you know, all at the same time. Yeah. So, no, it's, that's tight, man. Yeah, I think, I think everybody needs to have something um, because I also noticed without a hobby, without an outlet, those that are very, very passionate with the job tend to burn out faster. Um, I don't know who said it, and if they can hear this, I hope you know they can chime in to take credit. But someone talked about that passion, um, you don't lose passion. It gets robbed from you. It gets taken away from you, right? Because you – but a lot of it also you get stolen from you because you let it you, – you become so consumed with it. And you don't have some sort of outlet that kind of helps you redirect your priorities and redirect your life. Mm. So me, it's, it's working on saws. My hobbies are working saws. When I get a chance, because I don't do it at the firehouse, I do it at home, is play some Xbox. Um, there's nothing more satisfying than yelling at a five-year-old when they're actually beating me an Xbox. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's usually it's a little five or eight-year-old little punk that's beating me. Um or working my dogs, um, and then obviously spending time with my wife and my and my son. Um, he's a year old. Actually, today was a huge milestone. He pretty much walked, you know, almost a whole yard with no assistance. So nice, so nice. Are all, all open arms about that. No doubt. Um, Reasons to cheer, brother. Reasons yeah. to cheer. I love it. Um, let me see if I'm missing anything. Eddie Steele, Julio, what's up? uh tyler whitfield said yo and yeah lots of lots of hype okay moving to the questions special operations how did you get involved in it so uh in in my fire department uh uh, big history big traditions that like a lot of people know my fire department was because of special operations um we were the first department in central florida to put a heavy rescue in, in service back in 1989 um, the Kendrick's extrication device, the CAD was validated through here. The PD mobilizer were validated through here. The step chocks were pretty much invented and, and kind of grew from my department. Um, and then I was at a firehouse. I was second due to a squad house. So anytime on a call, I'm using, cause I back then I was on the, on the, on the meat wagon, on the ambulance. We call them rescues here. So just in case for a clarification, our rescues here are ambulances. But because they're firefighters and we actually got water cans, ticks, and, and hooks on them, you know, we can still do what we need to do. But back then, we would run calls with them and seeing these guys perform on pin jobs and on fires, you know, they get all the best jobs. But the coolest thing to see wasn't just how aggressive they were, but then it was like those silent professionals. They pack up. Sometimes, you know, if they had the chance, they would help load up holes or help do their thing. They were never high-fiving each other or doing what a lot of these new guys do. You know, it was – Come in, do the job, get ready for the next one. They oh, would yeah. debrief. What can they do better? And then leave. And then 
I started talking to some of the old timers and they guided me. They were like, hey, these are the classes you need to take and you need to transfer into a special ops house. So I took all my classes and mind you, I was not in a special ops house. I did it all on my own. And then I transferred to a special ops house when I did, you know, obviously I asked for their blessing first because one thing I think people need to uh, anywhere in the fire service before you put in to transfer to some to another firehouse, you should try to get to know the people and ask for their blessings, if, especially oh, the announcers yeah. and whatnot. So I did, and, and and they accepted me with open arms. And I remember my very first night, you know, they sat me outside. This is when I first heard about something called the engineers engineers time, and it's after dinner time. Oh, everybody goes outside and have coffee at, nice. the, at the bumpers and then uh, front bumpers. And we actually had like a big, big is, seat outside of the is station. Is that from that Cafe Cubano that's coming out of South Florida? <laughs> well, <laughs> see, Central Florida ain't really big in the Cafe Cubano. Okay, like, okay. Just checking. Just checking. So, but our, our, ours, ours is like the Folgers. Okay, you know? okay. You got to understand. I still got a bunch of like the, the, the Southern redneck mentality. Okay, and Even enough. though we're in Central Florida. Um. Man, if I give my guys the coffee that Ortega's going to give you, these guys would be hopping like Energizer bunnies left and right. <laughs> but but anyways, these guys were talking to me and interviewing me, and then they gave me expectations from day one. They're like, nice. hey, just because you're on the ambulance at this station now, uh, we expect you to perform like a fireman. You get first on scene, you get the size up, you start controlling utilities. If there's victims, we expect you to go in. Um we're going to use you, you know, like I know our department is big on two and two out, but the lieutenant said, hey, they'll make themselves two out and let me go work. They they pretty much told me, he says, uh, if they see any inclination of laziness or, or I'm hesitant, I'm going to get rid of for cowardness. And I'm like, yes, sir. I'm, I'm like, they hyped me up. Nice. They, But they also told me uh, the first six months, I'm not even to look at the other side of the bay. I am not to look at the squad. I am to look at my medic unit and my engine and learn my first do and learn my new apparatus. Once they realized I did that, I took everything with stride. Then the senior fireman one day came and gave me this like off the wall rope scenario that took me every bit of eight hours to complete because I was also on the meat wagon running calls left and right. Right on. And he saw that I didn't give up, and, and you know he would give me pointers here and there, kind of guide me in the right direction. But once he saw that I completed it, he's like, "All right." And every day after that, the guys were just grilling me, grilling me, just putting me through scenarios, putting me through scenarios. Then I would also stay off duty, and I befriended um, who the guy that actually ended up being the best man to my wedding. Um, he recently became a, a, a squad technician, and you know, young cat back then, right? So he recently became one. So I befriended him, and I would stay and study with him. He's the one that told me, "Okay, this is what you need to study. You know, these are the numbers that are important, but this is why." That guy, that guy, you know, he back then we were like what. 23 24 the guy was a captain of his own ship he's like a diesel mechanic so he grew up with a lot of mechanical information something i didn't have so he was actually one of the as young as he he is or he was back then because we're both about the same age he was teaching me you know mechanical aptitude because you need that in the squad program as well which then forced me to read the books that you know you asked me before like what books you recommend well I started reading the book, The Rescue Company, by Chief Ray Downey, and then Special Operations. Same thing. The first chapter talks about special operations guys usually come with some sort of trade experience, welders, you know, auto mechanics, body technicians, steel erectors, demolitionists, underwater divers. So 
the more I read and then the more I started talking to the guys, you know, I started getting really into it. And then uh, I realized that in the state of Florida, once you pretty much take your SUSAR classes, they're really, at that time, mind you, it was like 2011, there wasn't really too much prominent, like one or two day, excuse me, courses, like continuing education. Right. So, you know, this is obviously before, like, I really heard about National Rescue Consultants, old, sure. old guys, shout out, you know, they do phenomenal one and two day classes. Rocking their hat, yeah. Yep, exactly. So, so Herbie. But anyways, all, all those guys, uh, before I really heard of all them, they didn't really they didn't realize that Florida had that stuff. So I started going out of state. In fact, one of my first out of state classes was up in North Carolina with Chief Terrence Lee from Beaver Lane. He does a bunch of extrication classes, one and two day extrication, like real world, hard hitting extrications. And uh, you know, I told him my my story, what I wanted to do, and now we're like seven eight years best friends. You know, we call each other and all that stuff now. But going up there. And it's funny how drove up by myself, didn't didn't know anybody from anybody. You know, I drove eight hours to to up to that one day class, and they treated me everybody there. They 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 fed me, um, met everybody's family. They they treated me like I was one of their own. Nice. And then they also started showing me like you know my deficiencies and how I can work through them through the education process and stuff like that. And then every time I saw him take a class. Boom, I started take, going up there to take classes. And then when Billy Leach was doing the Big Rig Rescue, you know, before, you know, he passed away, I was taking all his classes. So every chance I could, anywhere I was finding up in the East Coast, I remember I was with a bump foot. I broke my foot and ended up going to Syracuse, New York, and taking Andrew Brassers and, and all those guys for a two-day forcible entry class. I'm in crutches, but I'm like, I don't care. I want to take this course. <laughs> and it was phenomenal. Awesome. Those guys they they let me do it. I mean, as tack as it was, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I had a pretty uh, a sketchy start, especially with a little bum foot. But it was awesome, awesome. All these years, especially in the beginning of my special ops, taking those one- and two-day courses, that's what really sparked my interest more into special ops. Right on. Because in your regular 40- or 80-hour classes, your certification classes, it's just a bare minimum. It is just a bare minimum. Right. And the one thing I learned was – when I went through the state fire college or going through the local colleges taking these classes, but when I got back to my department, then I had to relearn, okay, how does my department do things? You know, well, what equipment do we do? So I had to learn all that. Um, I was very blessed because our department is, it isn't just like, Oh, you want to be a tech? You can just take the classes, get on the rig. No, I had to take all my classes. I had to submit a letter of interest. I had to take a pretest. I had to pass the pretest. Then I had a, a my my generation, my time, I had a 26-page checkoff sheet with all covering all six disciplines, including hazmat. And I had to get checked off on all the monitors, on, on cribbing, on you know, depending on the discipline. Every page started with specific skills, and then the last page of every discipline was the minimum scenarios that the company officer had to do right. had to set up for me. So and that's just that's just the formal side of things, like the actual, like how much of it was informal as far as getting the the thumbs up or the nod from the guys that were actually on the rig. How much of that was involved? Uh, so that that was almost on a day to day, like right. as far as because again, remember I was still assigned to the station. I wasn't assigned to the unit, right. so I would be on an engine or in the medic unit getting my stuff. So um, my engineer, the, the engineer, which he's now the lieutenant of that squad. Um, uh, 
back then he would do stuff with me. The senior front would do stuff with me. And then they'll go up to the lieutenant, get a thumbs up. Like, yeah, he did good on this scenario. He did good on this skill station. Um, one time they did had to pull me to the back and, and knock some sense into me. Right on. A little bit rowdy. Um, you know, because that, it was frustration. Sure. And they had it. They had to humble me down and all that stuff. So, which was good because you need those hard. You need those hard hitters sometimes. You need that rude awakening. Um, I think I really got the thumbs up one day when I came back from a class, and everybody. It was like an off day. Nobody wanted to do anything. You know, everybody was kind of like, "Eh, there was a busy day, whatever." Sure. And I just started going by myself, and that engineer came outside and he saw it. He's like, "Hula, don't ever stop being that." You know, we see that you're a self initiator. Even when things are bad at the firehouse or at home, whatever, you're still doing it. And I think that's what really gave like the thumbs up to the LT, like, hey, we got to make sure this guy gets checked off, but get checked off the correct way. Sure. Um, because that's just to get checked off. That's not even to be assigned to the unit. So then started taking all these classes, more additional classes, even though I had all the regular classes while I'm getting checked off. Then I got, then it was time to get checked off and, uh, by then, the senior fireman moved to training, and he became, like, the, the special operations training officer. Right. And then during my generation of getting checked off, it it was – I had to get checked off for the final day. I had to take a 100-question written, and then I had to have the special operations battalion, the squad company officer that was training me, and then the special operations training lieutenant or training officer, which is that senior fireman at that point, um, they all had to give me – a scenario based on a discipline like that would cover like one or two disciplines each. It was no longer like, Hey, tell me about this. Tell me about this. It was like, Hey, here's your scenario. Fix it. You're in charge. <laughs> You're in charge of all these other squad techs. If they mess up, whether it was on purpose or on accident and you didn't pick up on it, it's your fault. Nice. And you will fail this discipline because they teach you even from the farming level that when you become a squad technician, you are to guide engine companies, ladder companies, other people that are not in special ops to help accomplish a task. Nice. So that's, that's, really that's, a, that's a high expectation too, man. Yeah. No, no doubt about it. So that, that's what really got me into special operations. And then once I started running the calls, like actually like, okay, Hey, I got finally checked off and I get to start working overtime on the rigs and riding the O three squads and all that stuff. It was awesome. Like running, like my very first shift on the squad, we end up catching two fires in one shift. I'm like, oh my god, can this day can <laughs> get any better? Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> okay. um, no, 100. I'm gonna tell. Hey, everybody listening live, if you have questions that you want asked, uh, if you want to ask from Julio about any of the topics we're discussing, get your questions in because yeah. I'll sit here and listen to stories all night long. I have no problem doing that, and I love it. So, uh, get your questions in. I'll find them and read them. Um, moving on. Pulling up my questions, everything saws. And brother, you know your saws, but it's called everything saws for a reason. Everything saws for the fire service. So I got to take your class back in March. I loved it. And and um especially coming from a guy with no like beyond rookie school, you know, saw experience. I'm not some it was awesome. It was eye opening. So go ahead and talk about everything saws. And the portion that you took was a condensed version because, like, you know, eight hours doesn't really hit everything. You right. know, the eight-hour report, the eight-hour of the class, really, instead of, like, going over tactics, it really goes more over body positioning, body mechanics, and all that stuff. Well, again, that goes back to me getting hired 
with no life experience, no trade experience. And my re- rookie year, my recruit school, I only had like four hours of chainsaw training. And it was like, Same. here's a chainsaw. Here's how you, you turn it on. Right. And, and cut this log. Here's a tension. Here's a compression cut. And that's that's it. But nobody talked about, you know, using saws to cut gable ends or con- making window-to-door conversions or, excuse me, hitting hitting the roof with it. Nobody talked about using the rotary saws to cut hoods of vehicles or cutting garage doors. And we all know Florida gets hit with hurricanes and hurricane-resistant doors. So, again, taking the forcible entry class up in Syracuse, opened my eyes up a little bit to some saw work. And then I started talking to people. I started seeing some of the same names, you know, Sam Hiddle, uh, Seth Taylor from uh, Louisville, Texas, um, Kevin Lewis from from Dallas, all those guys. Mm-hmm. I started seeing them with the saws and whatnot. And I just started asking questions. And then on Facebook, you know, I got on that truck floor training group and I saw Brian Matson and William Knight, all these guys just dropping information on saws here and there. But my thing was, it was information here, information there. Like there was nothing that says, hey, you know, there's not a book or there's nothing that we can put. No instruction manual. No instruction manual. Other than like, oh, you read the manual of the saw or whatever. But, like, these guys were dropping information, but then, like, you had to pin it. You had to save it or stuff like that. I'm like, well, this is starting to suck. So, eventually, I was like, you know what? I know that in my generation, and I think I, I think it really hit hard when being on the squad, being on the heavy rescue, we end up going to, uh, uh, like, after post-hurricane, you know, with, I think they call it, like, the um, window surveys. Right. So, uh, you know, like yeah, yeah. for damage and stuff, we had a whole neighborhood that was out of access, had no access because there was a big tree. And this is one of those, like, you don't know what you don't know until you get exposed to it. And when we get to this and this huge tree and it's all warped and stuff, like that, and luckily, you know, I was humble enough to tell my lieutenant, like, hey, LT, listen, let me talk to you for a minute. Like, I don't feel comfortable with this. Like, chainsaw work, this isn't my thing. This is before all this started, you know, sure. class stuff like that. Um, I said, I can start doing rigging. I can probably cut some branches here and there. But I, I told him, like, man, we even us, like, we have as a crew haven't done this kind of training before. And he's and he was really like, he he really loved that. He's like, listen, I'm glad you you came up to me and told me this, and, and we worked through it. So we use it as a training opportunity. But for the most part, it was my lieutenant, my senior fireman, cutting, and I was rigging. We were using winches to move stuff out the way, whatnot. And that's what really made me realize, man all this information, like I need to do something. Right. So then uh, that's when I decided to start my own company, but my own company, the only real reason why I started FSOC was so for liability purposes, because I wanted to get some of my guys to get a part structure work or do stuff out there. But it was not so much to like teach other people. It was to get people to come and teach me. I'm a selfish, like I'm a selfish person. I wanted that information for me. <laughs> right on. So, you know, I finally came up with like an outline of like, hey, you know, what I think some of the basic skills like I was lacking on, what are some of the skills that I started seeing? Like, where can I use the change? Like, I started reading more books and stuff. I'm like, all right, let me start writing down. And then I started asking people. And the first person that I popped up was Brian Matson. He got online. He's like, hey, man, I can share some information with you. And then guy I never met before, come all the way from Seattle. I talked about putting a class up in uh, – Atlanta for the Metro Atlanta Firefighters Conference. This is years ago, like 2016. And uh, he's like, uh, I told him what I wanted to do. And he said, yeah, he's for, for it. So never met the guy. 
flew him down. <laughs> he spent the time at my house. Uh, we ended up taking my trailer, but then I started buying a bunch of saws and stuff like that. And we went and taught a class up there with some other friends of mine from down here from Florida. Uh, one of them is a deputy chief, Dara Hennessy um, from St. Cloud. We got other people, you know, Robert Hunt. These guys that really started from the very beginning. And they helped me build that program. And that's how we started with everything saws. It was like more out of my selfish needs. And then I realized, hey, it's not just my needs. You know, granted, I am that Xbox generation, but I know there's other people like me. Right on. You know, so that's why we started creating this class. And we fine-tune it, you know, more and more information. Another thing I did was every conversation that I saw on Truck Ford Training that had to do with chainsaws and rotary saws and stuff like that, I copied and pasted it to a Word format. And put it all like a hundred and something pages, and I save it so if people ever want it, I still need to update it. I, I probably go like once every six months and see if there's any new conversations and that. Right, to it. right. But like all the comments of everybody, all the pictures and all that stuff, you know, like information of like why bullet chains are outdated. You know, what are the new chains that are out there? You know, what are the best depth, uh, rotary saw blades and why? So all that I started compiling. That way. Because I realized the fire service has so many people, so good information. Oh, yeah. But it's hard, like, because there's so many good instructors. Yes. So many people have instructors. Like, well, who, you, you almost have to remember, well, who teaches this? Or who's really good at this? So that's where this came up. I was like, I finally created, like, a format. And I'm not the first class. Uh, Seth Taylor actually has all saws, all and saws, he's been yeah. doing it way longer than I have. And Out of man, Texas, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I actually took his class. And it was phenomenal because he had, like, the VP rep out there, his saw maintenance. And, see, those guys up there, those those guys are forestry guys, too. You know, Scott's Kleinblit, you know, all those guys, they were out there teaching his class. And I'm like, like oh, my God, I'm in La La Land. You know? <laughs> and by then, I already, started, I already right. had, at that portion, a structure of saws, like, you know, like a foundation. And they just took it to a whole other level. <laughs> um and then Seth actually told me, hey, you need to come back in October because there's a, a, a program for the fire department that te- they teach. Uh, one of the particular chainsaw companies teaches you salt maintenance, not so much to be like a repair technician, but more of how to like diagnose the problems. And if you can fix it, fix it. If not, there's a lingo that you can talk to the, the small engine guys and tell them, hey, this is what I think it is because of this, this and this. And they also taught me, like, how to make my own chains, how to sharpen chains, how to sharpen carbide chains, all that stuff. I'm like, <sighs> <laughs> no, I love it. Uh, uh, Killian Quinn has a question coming at you. And this is about the special ops. When you got into special ops, he said, what was your favorite class? What was the hardest class, in your opinion? The <laughs> Again, the funny thing for me, the easiest class for me was hazmat tech. Because, mind you, my, my special operations – we don't separate TRT from hazmat. We do it both okay. on the rig. Um, the easiest for me was hazmat. The hardest for me was extrication. And the reason why, because I was not mechanically inclined. Okay. So learning, you know, talking about vehicles and stuff like that, that was the hardest thing. Now I tend to love extrication because we run so much of it. And I take – those were the classes that I was taking the most. You know, I took a lot of hazmat classes to better myself because I loved it. And I started taking more extrication classes because I hated it because I sucked at it. <laughs> and, and so nice. I know most people usually say hazmat is the hardest class. But for me, I guess me being a paramedic, you know, realizing that hazmat is more like a thinking man's game. Sure. You know, a little bit of hazmat detective work there. So that's what was, it came easy to me. I like it. Because I'm a person that has to understand. Like, uh, again, 
that generation. We are the generation of the whys, not just the hows. So because Hazmat Tech does a lot of explanation, I guess it really picked up on me. Sure. So. All right. Uh, Chad Small says, question, should the saws be set in the ready position, which is choke out, compression button in, and throttle set? Um, I'm indifferent to that. Some people talk about like uh, uh, that being in the combat ready position, or like I'm all for it if you're if you're that person with the saw. Me personally, I don't keep it that way because even at three o'clock in the morning, I condition myself to know okay, press the choke in, press the decompression saw in, because I also know that um, by me keeping it all not in that ready position, I can start diagnosing issues. I think sometimes people will forget that they keep the choke in and have flooded the saw before. Um, I, I don't know. For me personally, I guess just because I also know that when I flow to other stations or when I'm teaching other places, either they got partner saws or Husqvarna saws, whatever, each saw has their own little intricacies. I start from scratch because this saw may take one pull to crank over. This one may take five. Um so by me starting from scratch, I'm able to start telling, okay, hey, this this is a flooded saw. This has compression issues. You know, this is a, a fuel issue here. Um, but I'm also not against it, you know, especially if, hey, your job, you are the saw guy or whatever. If you want to keep it that way on your rig, on your shift, I'm 100% all for that. Because at the end of the day, I just expect you to do the function, whatever means necessary. And if you think that helps you, by all means. It doesn't damage the saw. Not unless uh, uh, saws in a ready position don't really get damaged. A lot of times issues when you have a saw in a ready position start getting problems, it's when lack of cleaning, like your decompression valve. A lot of people don't realize, especially after a good cut job, that thing gets full of tar, and you need to like sometimes take it out and use brake, uh, brake cleaner to clean all that. Otherwise, it'll get gunked open, and sure. the decompression valve is either going to stay stuck open or stay stuck closed. Um, same thing as your choke and stuff like that. So that's why I personally don't keep it all in the ready position. But, like I said, tweaks their own. Like it. I uh, got good ones coming. Mm-hmm. Chris Collier said, Julio is definitely a leader in his field. Great guy and hard worker. Keep it up, Julio. So that's a comment uh, and a compliment. So enjoy it. it. Andrew Feskin says, battery saws are becoming more popular in our area. Chain and circular. Does a battery chainsaw have a place in vertical ventilation yet or stick with old reliable? Um, I would say not yet. Uh, I would like on any of the saws, um, even it's funny because like now Makita, Milwaukee is the first one. Now Makita actually just finally made the 14 inch battery operated saws. So now you actually got some good depth. You can actually get a 14 inch, you know, carbide blade. When it comes to the chainsaw, the chainsaw still doesn't have enough oomph to it. Uh, we did a uh, research and development of uh, Supervac up in South Carolina with Captain Juanitas. And the house that we had was uh, three layers of shingles, excuse me, one layer of felt paper, and then one by six tongue and groove. And we were able to cut about 86 linear feet, you know, like actually trying to make actual like a louvers with that chain before all the, the teeth were missing. Um, the problem with the chainsaws right now, the battery operated saws, they, they definitely have some purpose, but the chainsaws, I would say they're more of a complement, not a replacement. So for me, it's like, let's say your gas powered saw is taking a beating or it stopped working, you know, two, three cuts in, then I would use the, the electric to finish the cuts. 
where the electric chainsaws really take place is converting windows to door windows to door conversions or uh, rit work you know cutting studs that kind of stuff or if you're cutting in between the rafters where you're not rolling rafters you're just cutting you know in between them like the bay cuts like some people call it and um, then absolutely i can see that taking an advantage of a gas powered saw but it's just that the battery itself doesn't have enough torque um as of now as of yet but again like anything else i mean look how we came with the extrication equipment right, right now uh, the walt bat or milwaukee battery operated uh, uh uh hydraulic cutter or spreader is spreading these new doors new cars left and right no problem i say give it two three years and I'd be, i think they'll be neck and neck as of right now they're more of a complement not a, a replacement solid answer uh, and they're they're sending good questions now, so we're starting to get into the meat of it, man. I'm loving yeah. it. Uh, Jim Platt said, Julio, you mentioned bullet chains are outdated. My agency uses these exclusively on our vent saws. Is there or what is a better option? So, and I say bullet chains kind of outdated in the sense where they were the first like fire department made chain, carbide chain. Um, but one of the things about the bullet chains that kind of makes them disadvantage is that their depth gauge or their, as some people know it as their rakers is almost, it's super thick and it really protects that carbide too much where it makes the power head work more than it's supposed to. So a lot of times you're getting more issues with the power head because of that chain than the chain itself. And you were taking a longer time to cut through something that a normal chain would, would go through quicker. Um, you know, it all depends. If you're going to do the 404 pitch chain, you know, like they say, most of your Husqvarna saws are not come with .404 for your vent saws, your Tempest, Ventmaster, Univents. I would stay with, like, the the Sabertooth for Cobra from the Carbide Chain of America. If you got steel chainsaws and you have not converted them to the .404 pitch, then they're RDR chain. It's because they're the only – steel actually makes a chain – that instead of being carbide tipped, it's carbide cap. So the whole tooth, the whole cap on top is made out of carbide, tungsten carbide. Um, if you're going to stay with the 3 pitch, then stay with RDR. If you're going to go with a .404, which is a wider curve, then you go with like a, the Cobra saber tooth chain. If, um, what you say, if a uh, budget is not a concern. Terminator chains have this place as well. You know, they're... they're uh, Usually, like what's the more common of the carbide chains using the fire service that are coming out now. Um, but yeah, I would also tell people like the best carbide chain is the one that's going to suit more for their first do or for their jurisdiction. Um, because some actually have like a single raker, some will have double rakers, some will have the rakers offset, and then some will have like thicker carbide, some will have a thinner like chiseled base carbide, like the. Um, the Rapco Industries version, like their Dragon version. So it really depends on what you're going to be cutting. Um, but the the bullet chain, uh, like it's, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with it. I think it's just they were the pioneers. They started it, but then new chains, like anything else, found it and just moved skyrocketed with it and just created better chains out there. Dude, like so much, so much information, man. Just overload. Information overload on this. Uh, Chris Below says, best way to maintenance RDR chains. So on any carbide chains, but especially RDR chains, um, steel actually has 
their their bench uh bench grinder chain chain sharpeners they actually come with diamond blades so any carbide chain you cannot hand file them you actually have to have the the chain grinder it's like usually bench mounted and you have to have the diamond wheel specific to that and it has to be in a well ventilated area preferably with a fume uh, uh, like a fume hood system because tungsten carbide is actually very toxic to your lungs like it gives you chronic chronic illnesses so you have to use a respirator or like i said have it where in the open air um the good thing about rdr chain is because it is carbide cap the whole thing is carbide if you nick it you can pretty much just sharpen it to where that nick is at so it'll be a shorter shorter carbide but you still got carbide left unlike a lot of the other carbide tip chains where it's just tack welded onto the steel cutting chain once you lose that carbide it's gone you have to restrap it you just can't re-tip it uh, but rdr you can sharpen it to as as low as you possibly can but you have to if you ever look at the rdr chain especially if you buy them in, in, in not in spool but in, in the actual like already pre-sewn loops usually the box will tell you the angles that they need to get sharpened by and by the type of wheel that it needs there you go do you have a question for anything like this uh yeah he just broke down how to maintenance rdr um here's a I would I don't know if this is a soft toss or a hard toss, but here comes here comes John Thompson says, "What size saw would you recommend?" What size saw? Um, so anything over seventy cc's. If he's talking about power, I don't know if he's talking about like power or if he's talking about blade or chain depth size. I'll see if he clarifies. But right now, we'll go. You you answer how you feel. Do you need to? Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about both ends then. Um, the the power head and the blade has to match the mission. So perfect example, uh, K760, or I see people buy the TS420 from steel. That's about a 70, 70, 77 cc saw. Uh, the 760 and the TS420 have no place on vertical vent because especially when you start applying a heavier, like a, 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 like a Warthog blade or, or a 12 tooth blade or even an 18 tooth blade um, for a vertical vent, belt-driven 70cc saws, that belt is going to squeal like a pig just trying to make that heavy blade move, right? And it's going to keep getting caught up. A 70cc chainsaw, so your 440s, 460s, 461s, your your 575 XBs from Husqvarna's, those are the power heads you need for vertical vent. A 70cc chainsaw does wonders on a roof because now you're, you're talking about something that's gear-driven, gear versus pulley and belt. You actually got gear and chain, right? So... But um, when it comes to like chain size or, or, or bar size, any any, I recommend minimum of twenty inch bar. I, I see some people try to do like a sixteen or eighteen. Um, I feel that even for a short person, you start bending more down towards your cut. The lower the cut, it is right. Um, you know, if you imagine you being a tall person trying to bend down, trying to cut, like I hate being so much into the hole. Um, but that's personal opinion on people. Me personally, I think a 20-inch bar pretty much handles a, a, a perfect for anybody's size. Um, when it comes to rotary saw work, if you're going to be doing vertical bent, you know, the 14-inch blades are the way to go, especially with the build-up construction and all that stuff. Um, for forcible entry, really depends in your first do. 14-inch is, is like that good uh, – um, like your abrasive disc or diamond blades, that 14-inch blade, it's probably like that good medium. 
my department, we're going to 16-inch blades for our forcible entry needs just because of the hurricane-resistant doors. Okay. So all your garage doors have three to eight inches of hurricane bracing in the back, whether it's residential or commercial. So with those, we're putting them on the 970s. And there's some stations that still have the big K1250s, K1260s. Uh, I told them, take the diamond blades out of those and put the carbides on those because big 120cc saws is overkill for forcible entry and it's too heavy when you're trying to do horizontal cuts. So to me, that question is kind of a loaded question. You really have to match the power head with the blade with the mission. Are you doing forcible entry with it? Or are you going to be doing forcible entry in vertical vent? Or are you strictly going to be doing vertical vent with the saw? Dude, I love it, man. Uh, Tony Nunez said, I've seen a lot of the depth gauge for the bar, a.k.a. chainsaw training wheels. What is your take on them? Um, I'm... I'm I'm more of against it because I think it's a training clutch. I think, you know, the departments want to use it more for like reduction of liability purposes. But again, I think that goes back to a training issue. And like the best, the best subject matters to talk about that are like, you're like Brian Matson and William Knight. So they talk about, you know, you got to learn how to feel the rafters and hear the saw, the, the different noise that the saw does. Um, actually, Sam Hiddle was the one that mentioned, showed me this on an actual prop. He's like, even with the depth gauge, people were blowing through rafters mm-hmm. because uh, – and sometimes they may have to make multiple cuts because they put the depth in the wrong measurement. Your inspection cuts are going to tell you, you know, how thick you got to cut down, what kind of built, uh, roofing construction you have, you know, where the rafters are located, how thick are the rafters. And then he's the one that mentioned, like, hey, if you keep your saw at 90 degrees on a chainsaw, um, you're able to hear when you're able to hear a more of a difference. The saw starts working a little bit harder because more teeth are hitting the rafter. Yeah, you're going area. at 45 yeah. degree, you're going to blow right through the rafters, not even feel that. And I think when you start using the depth gauges, you start neglecting your back to basics, your training issues, your your proper footing. Um, I I personally believe they shouldn't be on the rig or they, they have no place, I think it's we need to start focusing the guys on proper footing, proper body mechanics, feeling, sounding, uh, hearing the noises, the different noises, um, more than just using a clutch of a uh, depth gauge. Love it. All right. Uh, you good for questions? I'm going to keep throwing them at you. Yeah. Come on. All right. Uh, here's a YouTube question. Are there any good, this is from Marco Isom, are there any good chainsaw videos on YouTube that you would recommend to use as a refresher? Uh, wow, that is a, that's a question that, you know what, I don't, I don't know. I don't know any of the top of my head right now. It's probably cause I'm throwing a brain fart, Sure, but it's one of those that maybe when I find them, I'll plug them into you. Like we'll put them on the firehouse vigilance saying, Hey, these are the ones that I found to be pretty good. Love it. I'll right. specific in chainsaws actually, but not so much on YouTube. Ah, he might still have on YouTube. Mattson started posting some good chainsaws on, on actual, like the different style of cuts. Um, and then, like, actually, like, bars, maintaining the bars at 90 degrees 90, and stuff yeah. like that. So, if you, I think it's, like, Ladder 11 or, like, something like that on YouTube. He posts a lot of those. Um, I'll tell you what. You watch the San Bernardino videos, their fire videos. They got some real good chainsaw videos. They got it going on? Because, yeah, because they, you know, their social media presence is phenomenal. They got interior crew helmet cam, excuse me, exterior crew helmet cams. And you can really see how well they do with chainsaws up there. Um, go, go ahead. ahead. I don't want to cut you off. No, no, that that was that was All it. Because right. I'm trying to think of any any good like maintenance videos. 
you almost have to like just you to like like on the search button like uh you know chainsaw maintenance and then okay. they'll give you like you know some of the old timers like small engine repair guys they'll show you some tips tricks and tips but i don't really have like any specific name out there i like it and you can always reach out to julio and say hey here's my question and he will hook you up with more details yeah. george robertson jr says started a rookie today at my volley house what would be your recommendation for initial training for a rookie with saws uh First thing I tell him, like, explain to him the theory of two-stroke. I'm definitely the whole crawl, walk, run method, right? Right. Um, and Tyson, like, should, like, actually have a saw disassembled because especially not only you're teaching him about the saw, you're teaching him life experience. You're also teaching him, like, critical thinking and putting two and two together, see how things work. So start teaching him the theory of two-stroke engines, like, how did that work, how that one piston is doing everything and how – why the 50 to 1 mixture is important, you know, because the, your saws require that lubrication from the fuel, from that oil in that fuel, unlike your car, that the oil is separate. So start with that. I would start with a chainsaw almost completely disassembled, and as they're talking about it, he's putting everything back together. You put the spark plug back together. You put the decompression valve back together. Nice. You put the chain, the bar. Um, that way you're also teaching him how to clean the saw. And then you start teaching him the, the the starting the startup routine. How do you start the saw in the morning? I think for day one, that's kind of perfect, you know, like because that's going to be information overload in itself. Yeah. Then the next day or the next time you do it is have them like get a bunch of pallets and the whole crawl walk run. Have them just roll rafters, roll rafters, roll rafters with a chainsaw. Look, did everything from the ground, and then um, put something vertical. Um, in vertical, you start talking about where. at what point do you stop using that saw above your head? You know, you start talking about kickback. You start talking about the inertia brakes. Um, and then after that, you start applying, okay, above ground, like using a ladder, using the saw. So I take it in steps. The very first day, not so much how to use it on a call, but let's talk about cleaning it, maintaining it, and starting it. Because that in itself, he's going to be like, and every day you build upon that. So the next day that you have, you come teach a new skill, Start back from the first skill. Take the saw completely disassembled. Have them put it back on together. Start it. And then now we go to the next skill. And then same thing. The next shift, you know, start disassembled. Put the first skill that you did and then add another skill. Eventually, right. you can start skipping that one skill of, you know, starting disassembled saw. Um, but you want to see them get good at that. Um, one of the things that our probationaries are down here, we have a, a, a JPR um for like their three and six months assessment and like they have to like you know identify what's the spark plug where's the decompression valve you know the throttle interlock you know all this stuff but they also have to explain the theory behind it what what does the spark plug do what is the the decompression yes. valve do? yes and then they have five minutes to uh tension a chain like like we you know give them a, a bar and a chain they have to put the chain on correctly tension it correctly and, and go from there Love it. No, two things, two things. I'm going to interrupt you. Two things, because first one is how important is that right now with the people we hire in and their lack of mechanical knowledge? And it's not a knock on them at all. It's just the no, society. No. Again, it's the way we are. We're the Xbox generation. Like that is important because yes. especially now, I think again, my generation, probably the generation before me, it was college degrees, college degrees, college degrees, further education, computer technologies, all this stuff. Um, but don't get it wrong. Like our generation, we're the generations of wise, and, yes. and it's not necessarily to be wise asses to anybody. It's just like we <laughs> genuinely know why. Um, 
And you motivate us by that. Yes. So this is extremely important to know because the more they start understanding why, it, it's we're actually. I want to say that we're sometimes a little bit better on critical thinking than even some of the old timers in certain aspects because we're the generation of whys, right? Uh, and because with technology in our hands, you know, the the Google and the YouTube and the Facebook, we can find information so much faster. Um, but having that one on one, a builds up on amongst the crew members. Um, I think is very important because now it's also teaching them work ethics and also teaching them it's okay to get your hands dirty because saw work, it ain't, it ain't clean. Uh, it ain't a, a, a clean hands. I mean, even with gloves on, expect to have greasy hands or like in my hands, I pretty much bashed every knuckle or cut every knuckle. I got <laughs> a about to come off. Hey, and that goes for all firefighting activities, not just exactly. saw work, man. It's a blue collar exactly. profession, man. It's a trade. It's exactly it. Hell yeah. Uh, but it is extremely important. Eddie Steele wants to know storing saws or any small motor in the same compartment as absorbable fluid absorbent, good or bad idea. Fluid absorbent is now is he talking about like actual powder or like is he talking about just like is he laying like the uh like a hydraulic uh, uh, hydrophobic pad underneath the saw to absorb anything? I don't think there's anything really bad on it. I haven't heard anything good or bad. I would deflect that question more to, like, Captain Steph Taylor. He may know the answer to that. Okay. Um, I will ask him, and then I'll probably get, get an answer out. I haven't heard anything good or bad Okay. Um, as far as putting anything. I do – saws, especially chainsaws, are going to leak. Right. You know, bar oil, especially after usage because of the whole uh, expansion and contraction due to heating and cooling. So, yeah, if he's talking about putting something underneath the saw to absorb some of that, I don't see an issue with that. Make compartment cleanup easier, if nothing exactly. else. Right. Exactly. Cool. cool. Chris Baylow said, one more question, brother. Yeah. Rotary saw blades for K970. What's your thoughts on the Desert Diamond Blade, and what are you guys running? <laughs> I, I'm a distributor for Desert Diamond, so yes, go for them. No. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I love Desert Diamond. Uh, what I like about the Desert Diamond Blades is that they're both um, – bi-directional blade so whether you do inboard or outboard conversion and if you maintain the blade either or the it wears down pretty even and it's probably of all the testing and not just because i sell them but from the independent testing that we've done to me the desert diamond is number one the team equipment piranha is definitely a solid second and then the number three would be the husky fang um the my department uses exclusively uh the piranha blades team equipment but that's also because team equipment is a florida based uh 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 distribution center sure. so and, and we love we got such a good rapport with them um but that desert diamond you know and team equipment i think they go neck and neck but that desert diamond blade the fact that uh it is bi-directional definitely has an advantage because it helps with the wearing down process lasts longer than the other bland, the other brands out there um the con to it is the way it's set up you are going to be grinding metal a little bit slower than your other diamond blade or even abrasive disc. So one thing that people also have to understand, uh, we don't cut metal, we grind metal, right? Cutting metal is, is dealing in the torch industry, you know, when you're using torches. A uh, rotary saw with an abrasive disc or a diamond blade is nothing more than a big-ass angle grinder. But because that diamond blade, um, no matter what diamond blade you wear, you use your con to using diamond blades is that it's going to, grind metal down a little bit slower than an abrasive disc counterparts okay. okay so no i love it and here's one thing 
Usually on the scrap, I feel like I know what I'm talking about as I ask questions and stuff. Today, I'm out of my depth, man. So I'm, I'm, I'll be the first to admit it. Like I am out of my depth, and I, I just, I really appreciate your expertise, brother. It's, it's. This is not an expertise. This is just knowledge, knowledge bombarded to me, and that I finally was able to put it all because I knew these are common questions that people have been asking, and it's questions that uh, uh, most of the young people never really cared about because we don't. Everybody Our, listening live, like this is the definition of expertise. He's explaining it right now. Go ahead. No, I, the, the 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 problem is like our generation, like the, this right here is a uh, we we don't know what we don't know until we get exposed to it. So I try to do the legwork and expose myself to a lot of those things before you know uh, shit happens. <laughs> um, but it's not my mine. It's not expertise. Mine is just generations and and all these great guys that we right mentioned on. today just bombarding that information me sucking it in and writing notes and keeping everything in and then betting it. Cause one thing I'll tell you this, no matter how much I care about a person or how much I think somebody's a rock star, um, I bet everything. And I tell people tonight after this scrap, whatever we talk about, you better go back to your department and bet it. Don't take my word for it. Go find the manual that it came from, you know, go look up the, the, the manufacturers, go look at the, the distributors or certain blades, chains, look up testimonials, call other departments, don't just take my word for it. Love it. Um, please don't just take my word for it. You have to do the stuff on your own too. Plus, cause it gives you ownership of what you're doing as well. All right. Two more to throw at you before I get to books and whatnot, but and maybe even more. Um, Nick Pappard, our man, Nick Peppard. I'll say it right. What are your thoughts on the new fuel injected steel MS 500 I for vertical ventilation? See, I haven't played with that yet. I can't wait to get my hands on it. Unfortunately, Steel is not going to give me one, so I have to buy one. So I'm working some overtime, save some money so I can buy that chainsaw, and then I'm going to put it through its paces. I've heard some people use it already. Um, they haven't had like any really bad experiences, but I can't wait. I, I mean, I got to read up on it first, but I can't give an answer. I really do not know. No hands-on yet. Okay. I can't wait. I can't wait uh, to get through its paces. Luke Green wants to know, how about Bronco Blades? Ooh, yes, that's another one. Um, that's a That was more like industry that started to be used now. That's not a bad blade either. Um, pretty good blade. Um, like anything else, as long as you also have to match it with the mission. You know what I'm saying? It ain't a bad, ain't a bad blade at all. I completely forgot about that. It's pretty good too. At, as long as you also buy the one that says like general use, um, and it's not just for masonry. Okay. So, there's a caveat. I would tell people this: um, be very careful because, like, even Husqvarna has a, 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 a diamond blade, but a lot of these companies have diamond blades also meant for masonry work. So you'll get you'll go to Tractor Supply or wherever, get a saw, be like, oh, I can get a fire department saw, I get a Husqvarna saw K970 with a diamond blade. Be very careful. Make sure the diamond blade is actually ready to grind metal. It's not just for masonry. But the Bronco blade can do both. So. That's Sorry. not a bad blade either. Is sto- uh, Gus Salcedo wants to know: yeah. Is storing fuel with saw blades okay? Uh, with the abrasive disc, not so much because the abrasive disc has a resin that the fumes start uh, uh, breaking them down. Diamond blades, you know, they're diamonds. The one thing you've got to watch out for, though, is like uh, no nothing gets spilled on the diamond because as you're trying to grind metal, that thing catches fire. Now you got your saw on fire, right? Um, but it also depends on how you're storing them. Like if you got the true fuel can or stuff like that, you know, your, your pre-mixed cans and it fully capped, fully tight, it shouldn't really be an issue. 
the real issue comes with abrasive discs. Okay. Just because of the way they're built, the resin, the epoxy that holds them together. Any maintenance concerns for outboard circular saws over inboard? So, not really. It's more on your blade. If you didn't pay attention to your blade, um, because sometimes if you if you convert your blade to outboard conversion, you have to make sure that some of these blades actually give you an arrow of the sure. way they're supposed to Which go. Which direction, right. Like the Piranha blades were pretty notorious about that. They'll tell you, like, hey, if you do the outboard conversion, make sure that the caution side is still on the belt side and then the Piranha side is still on the uh, on the arbor side. I think the blade gets worn down faster if you don't pay attention. Um, not really. I haven't heard too much of it. Uh, I haven't really heard any maintenance issues, to be honest. Nice. Perfect. You've caught up on every... Like, if you're a saw nerd, this is like heaven. Like, no doubt about it, man. I'm love, Dude, I'm telling you, man. This is why the scrap is so great. Um, Gus Salcedo had one more, and I'll throw this at you before I get to the books. What are your thoughts on saws for hurricane glass? Oh, man. the Those are like the best things right now. So, very learning on the job. Uh, funny story about that. Brand new, brand new tech on the squad, riding the squad. We end up catching a fire, and uh, I'm with a hook and a halligan. The LT tells me, "Hey, Huli, go vent that window." Mind you, I got a, a a New York, you know, steel New York roof hook, and I went to go try to break the glass, and the thing just bounced right back on me. Right. <laughs> it happened to be that my lieutenant saw me. He called me, you know, uh, explicit jabroni. Um, he, he tells me, give me that hook. You're not worthy of it. So he tries to break it, and it goes, boing. He's like, all right, you're not a jabroni. Go get the saw and go handle this. So we end up using, on that fire, we end up using a, a recip saw. What we end up doing first is, like, making a purchase point with the Halligan on the, on the hurricane glass. Then use a recip saw to cut, while another company used the diamond blade, and that diamond blade just zipped right through that window. And then someone else had used a chainsaw, and the chainsaw actually zipped through that pretty well too. Um, you want to get some good, uh, good information on hurricane windows and, and the rotary saws, like the battery operated Miami uh, Miami Date. I think the uh, Engine Two. They got a bunch of Insta- uh, they're on Instagram. They put a lot of videos on that, and I think the Miami Date uh, training group on Facebook page. They put a lot of videos on that too. Nice and. Um, uh, Rick George, aka the Glass Guy. A lot of people didn't realize Rick George is actually known before for the hurricane resistant training. He was the one that did a lot of the research on it. Uh, look him up as well. A lot of his older videos talked about using saws on that. Okay. The new battery operated saws. Oh, they'll go through that. Those diamond blades go through that all day long. Okay. Nice. Be very careful though uh, when you're using them. Make sure you have your SCBA on because now you're talking about fine particle glass going inside of you. So. Yeah. Definitely breathing air. Like, uh, Gus Salcedo, he's asked you a lot of questions. I said he owes you a Mountain Dew. <laughs> he does. Don't <laughs> worry, I'll be seeing him soon. All right, fair enough. All right, I always like to ask my guests if they have book or books that they think firefighters should be reading. doesn't have to be a firefighter book, but it's okay if it is. I just want to know, what do you think firefighters should be reading? Our generation, especially the generation that asked the questions why and want to do good in the fire service, um, Older book, the the rescue company by Chief Ray Downey. Nice. Um, he ended up, you know, ended up perishing in nine eleven, but was one of the godfathers of the USAR teams and, and FDNY squad companies and, and 
Heavy Rescues, and then the Chief Norman one, Special Operations books, because the first couple of chapters on both of them talk about selection process and then like the mindset. You know, what is the mindset of the guys on this, and how do they recruited people and the training and stuff like that. I think if we give people that idea, like you know, even it doesn't have to be just for special ops engine work. Because I think engine engine work is an art in itself. Truck work is an art in itself. Um, we have to start motivating the guys um, to be readers. You know, like, and not just like our guys. We're all about the cell phone, right? Like, I mean, I'm notorious for being on the phone all day long too. Like, that's a bad habit of mine that I'm working on. Um, but I'm also a reader. I think if we can get the guys to read and read and read, it'll yes. actually ex- expand their knowledge. Start asking why, and then boom, that old timer got him already. He got him in the hook. Give him book. Give that new guy a book to read. Yes. Let him read it. He starts asking questions, and at that moment, that old guy's like, ah, "I got you. Come on, come to the bay. Let's We're it. gonna go kill on this now." <laughs> yes, that's how you get them. Dude, two books I've never had suggested before. So that's awesome, man. That's 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 rare, man. After 113 scraps, I'm not even lying to you. Um, so we have a thing we do on every scrap. It's called the five questions for firefighters. The answers are completely your opinion. There is no right or wrong. Okay. And the points are 100 percent arbitrary and assigned by me. Okay. So, Julio Ramos, are you ready for the five questions for firefighters? Well, let's hope. Let's see. <laughs> First question. The destiny is going to allow me to be. There's not a single question here about saws, so that's the only thing. I'm, you know, so I'm, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> what is number one? What is the number one issue facing the modern fire service? Uh, too much emphasis on risk management, which ended up being risk aversion, and not being so much of proper training to make something not even be a risk anymore if that makes sense oh yeah oh yeah you're, I, you're, I, you're, I actually you're... tracked that answer yeah it may be because i had a few modelos but i tracked that answer the i think that's a big thing that 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 and too much emphasis on leadership training um and like just pounding pounding leadership I think we've had this conversation when we oh, were at, oh, yeah. at Panhandle. Remember I told you, it was almost like anti-leadership training, anti-leadership books, because I think um, not that you're born with it. I think it could be refined. I think that the books are out there. Like, you know, Chief Viscusa's book is phenomenal to read, um, you know, like the Step Up and Lead book mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But I also don't think that we need to be pounding, pounding leadership. I think leadership comes through training. I think leadership comes from just basic human nature. Teach Teach your farmer to love the job. Teach the farmer to love each other. Um, you know, follow the prime examples. Officers eat last. Officers sit down last. You know, officers are the first ones to go in. Officers are the last ones to come out on a call. Um, you know, don't be a dick. You know, <laughs> yes. And if you if you got to be a dick, you know, better have damn good reason for it. Um, stick up for your men. Um, at the same time, don't take no crap from anybody, not even from them. Nice. And that's it. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I will tell you, treat leadership comes more treating people how like you would be treating your family members and stuff like that, like from home. Um, I do know that sometimes envir- environment take, uh, uh, I want to say like ownership of somebody, but like people, people are from what their environment raised them to be. 
but everybody's a leader. Like a certain to a certain aspect, you just gotta like find their niche and stuff like that. Right on. Uh, once right you on. find once they find what they're passionate about, they become leaders on that that subject. Love. Um, but yeah, that to me is like I'm tired of the the but the department promoting leadership, 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 and like you know what? I'm tired of teaching somebody how to be a nice guy but tactically incompetent. <laughs> right. We need to start getting we need to start getting people to be more well rounded. I'd rather deal with a butthole that's very tactically sound and that I know is not going to get me killed than a nice guy that, A, is going to make me do something because he thinks it's cool or doesn't know any better, or B, is not going to make me do something causing the death or destruction of somebody's life or property. Now, the mission drift. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. Hey, hey great answer. Great answer. Right out the right out the get-go. There it is, number one. What is the number one issue face of modern fire service from Julio Ramos? Max Point, sir. Number two, what is the thing you are most excited about for the future of firefighting? Oh, man. I, <laughs> I don't know. It's, uh, you know what? I think um, history is trying to repeat itself in a good way. I, th- I think the aggressive firefighting is really coming back. Um, I was, you know what? I'm not even going to call it aggressive firefighting. I'm just going to call it firefighting. Firefighting is coming back. Hell yeah. Uh, the, because now the guys that are asking the wise, this newer generation are asking the wise, the old timers are giving them their knowledge, their experience. And now with the UL studies and everything else, the guys are bridging experience with science and, and now able to, to make more tactical decisions. We're getting guys that are getting better at critical thinking. And I think they're going to start making decisions faster, more fluent, more efficient. I still think that we're going to start seeing more and more good quality interior firefighting again all over the United States, if not the world. Julio, you had me at history repeats itself with aggressive firefighting. Dude, that's a great answer, man, period. Max points. Uh, number three, best rank or position to be in in the fire service? Man, I thought it was a squad fireman, but I'll tell you this, the lieutenant is – I think that – well, for my – mine stops at lieutenant, but uh, the company officer – um, company officer sets the tempo for the station. Um, company officer, you know, takes the beating from above. You know, he's like that that mother hen that blocks all the BS that comes from above from the guys and and protects the guys, uh, guides the direction that he needs to be or the field that needs to be. I think right now the company officer, for me, maybe because I'm new at it, is the most challenging, is the most rewarding. Um, I think that's the best position. Plus, uh, maybe because I'm in the squad program where uh, I think Jocko said it very much well, like his decentralized command where everybody's a company officer. In essence, like my guys, I expect my guys to make independent decisions. All, yes. I tell, all I tell them to do is just, hey, man, like I believe in free thinking and the squad, I believe to be in force multipliers where I should be able to tell my guys all four of us are splitting and make independent stuff. Um 90% of the time, my guys tell me what they're going to do, and I'm like, yeah, go for it. Go oh, for yeah, it. Yeah, you my life easier. <laughs> um, I love it. But uh, and, but obviously that that 10%, I reserve the right to be like, no, it's going to be like this, this, and this. And it's not micromanaging. It's just the way it is. Um, but I think that company officer, especially company officer, when you train your guys where you don't really have to supervise them because then I can go to work. Like they know on a residential fire, I'm probably going to be working more, and they're probably going to have to supervise me. On a commercial fire, it's vice versa. I'm very hand on a commercial fire, and I do play the lot, the boss, you know, like really supervise, see what's going on. 
Um, that's okay. what I, I think the company offers because you get to do what you want with your crew and stuff like that. It's fun. This, the, this is the uh, – I, I, I will say this. This is the easiest answer to get max points on if you follow the scrap at all because the greatest position to be in in the fire service is the company officer, period. In the discussion, I pass out the points. So max points for number three. <laughs> but, no, 100% what you're saying is – is uh, and I loved your whole whole take on decentralized command and just fire and forget missiles. When you can, when you can turn them into fire and forget missiles, what is a better – mission than that you know what i'm saying right dude it, i love it, it i love it when you actually have to pull the rain <laughs> yeah exactly yeah best advice you've ever received uh don't stop being a self-initiator um in the fire service no my like especially for probationary firefighters um you have to be a self-initiator like it is the job for the company officer and the senior guys to help you succeed in the fire service. But you as a firefighter, professional firefighter, on any rank, you have to be that self-initiator. You sometimes going to have to initiate your own training, and eventually you're going to see people come on and see, hey, what are you doing? And when you tell them what you're doing, eventually they're going to step in with you. Um, but don't stop that. Don't stop that love. Like You have to have that, that grind, that love, that passion. Expose yourself. Practice your go drills. Practice your whatever you're weak on. Uh, but you have to initiate that on your own first. Be a self-initiator. Be a self-starter, and everything else comes through. And never let it fail. Yes, dude, never let that drop off, dude. I love that. Love that. Dude, you're killing it. You got you got the final question here to go for max points for five for five. Heavy fire. And I really, man, here's the deal. I really try not to just be like Mr. Lay it down and everybody gets max points. That's not the point here. You're crushing. Heavy fire, searchable space. Would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES. Oh, that goes without saying. I'm a, I'm a squad company. VES all the way. Yeah. I mean, come on. No, well, <laughs> I'm gonna tell you this. The the con to us is that we also carry water, so I have to make that decision on the fire ground. Hey, do I start spraying water to do VES? But in my case, I could probably do both because right. I got the guys that are, that are capable of doing that. Again, I got pitbulls sitting in the back seat that I could tell one guy go VES and this guy uh, go fight fire. Um, we actually did have a fire <laughs> that no victims, but we, the stairs were involved. We were not actually, we were actually the second unit on scene and everybody was crowding on the front door. So I told my guys, Hey, take ladders. We're going to VES the second floor. Nice. My two guys VES. Well, I supervised them with the hose line. I brought the hose line up behind them. <laughs> so as they VES did a primary search, I was putting out the fire while paying attention to them. I love it, man. Dude, there you go. Yes, all the way. You know why, too? Because I also do like feeling a little bit of heat. That water takes all the fun away sometimes. So (laughs) There's the answer right there. Uh, Dude, I think you just crushed the five questions for firefighters. Uh, There are a new five questions coming, but Julio, absolutely. I I gave you max points on all five. Um, Yeah. That's the quality of the people I have. It's not – I'm not an easy scorer. I really do mean that. It really wow. is how good the guys are the answering. There it wow. is. Officially, 113 scraps in the books. God. Yes. That's awesome. Dude, it's crazy, man. Uh, That's crazy. If someone wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do so? Book a uh, class, uh, reach out to you for information, ask you a question, go. No, I'm, I'm everywhere. I, I got the FSOC page on Instagram, on, on Facebook. The I don't have a website. It's actually... We merge with Soda City Training. Um, they like they have a lot of my stuff there, and those guys are all 
all have my information. Um, but you can reach me on Facebook on my personal page or on the business page. So we're I'm always there 24-7. So, and, and those that know me have my number. Like, dude, I don't care if it's 2 o'clock in the morning. You got a question, especially if it's an emergency, especially if it's hazmat, whatever, I'll pick up and help you out. Um, if it's not too 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 pressing, we'll deal with it in the morning. Love it. But I love this stuff. The guys know all my information is out there. But yeah, definitely on Facebook and Instagram, and I'm both on the business and personal pages. Solid. So. All right. Um, my house sleeping firehousevigilance.com. Go there. You can get merch. You can get hats. You can get whatever. Um, I got like a dozen like coins left. I got coins on the way, but I do not know when they're coming in because apparently there's a whole backlog of like ships stuck in ports somewhere. Um, next up next week, like it's been a killer month at November and, and to kill off November and head into Thanksgiving is chief Mo Davis. Mo Davis is going to cut. Yeah, I know it's awesome, isn't it? And so you got Julio Ramos tonight, Mo Davis next week. Uh, following up that you got Justin phrase, Raymond Dorval, Chris Kessinger, and then December 20th, the Mega Scrap, heading into Dennis Laguerre to close out the year. So, yeah, it's like a crazy, like, it's an awesome time. Wow. Uh, uh, what else I got to say? Um, if, you, if you see me out and about, please get a picture with me. I love posting pictures with people who scrap, and I love posting it saying, Mutts don't scrap. Um, mention Next Rung. Yes, Next Rung, Amazon Smile. If you shop on Amazon... Sign up for Amazon Smile and pick Next Rung as your charity. They, they make a difference in first responders' lives. I cannot say this enough. It doesn't cost you a penny to sign up for it. And every time you shop, they make money to make a difference in first responders' lives. And if you don't want to do that, then go support Next Rung. Look them up and support them. Uh, 100%. They make a difference. If you think the scrap brings value to your firefighter life, Go support the show. Go to firehousevigilance.com. You can donate there or you can, um, yeah, subscribe or whatever. Remember, everybody, Julio Ramos, unbelievable guest tonight. Thank you for being on. No, Chief, thank you so much for having me. It's been truly an honor. Um, not really, I don't really do too many podcasts because I'm kind of like the bashful person, but <laughs> you do bring the best out of people. Dude, you That's crushed that. it, man, 100%. Like, there's times when I'm like, he's talking about numbers that I don't even know what they mean. Like, diamond, <laughs> diamond numbers and angles and... Holy crap, I don't know what this means. But no, but that's the same way I felt taking your class. And when I left, I felt I was able to bring stuff, like even just the, the, the 90 versus 45 and how important that is for filling a rafter, yeah. man. I'll remember that till I retire, you know? And that's just a small part yeah. that I didn't that's know. What, that's what I care for. I didn't know before March this year. And I was talking to a guy who was cutting a roof last week on my department about, hey, next time, kick it up to that 90 and you'll feel when you hit that rafter, you won't cut through it, you know? <laughs> So, yeah, sure enough. No, I mean it was it was straight up what I learned in your class. So, um, well, am I going to see you next March? Yes, going up absolutely. I'll be there. I'll be there, man. In Perfect. the eight five zero. Yes, sir. All right, cool. Remember, mutts don't scrap. I hope the tone stays silent unless it's burning. Stay safe out there. Thanks for listening to the weekly scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode. <laughs>